Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening, 1830. Uh, my name is Che. I'm one of the curates here at St. George's, and it is a great pleasure to be continuing our sermon series on Exodus. Um, you'll be relieved to know we, we do plan this stuff. We do talk to each other about it. And I was chatting with Eve earlier this week about this Exodus series, and we both felt that tonight's main topic of covenant is incredibly timely, incredibly timely, and that God is ready to speak powerfully to us if we open our hearts to listen to what he has to say. So I'd like to guide us on a journey tonight, looking at uh, three key words. So those key words are provision, covenant, and community. So we'll start with Provision. Provision. I'm a, a completely unashamed uh, nerd. That's the only word for it. I'm proud. Nerd and proud. Uh, so I like, to look up, I like to look up the etymology. That's the etymology. Entymology is something else. Etymology, the meaning of words and where they come from. And it may well not surprise you, uh, but provision is from the Latin providere, pro, ahead, videre, to see, to see ahead. When we talk about God's provision, we acknowledge God's eternal nature. We acknowledge his seeing ahead, how God goes before us. And so far in the Exodus story that we've been looking at together, God, who has revealed his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, I am what I am, has delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And a little bit before our reading from chapter 19, in chapter 16, the Israelites find themselves in the desert and they are grumbling, understandably maybe, they're hungry. And Yahweh provides manna and quail. In chapter 17, the Israelites are grumbling. There's a theme here. They're thirsty. And so Yahweh tells Moses to strike the rock at Horeb with his staff. And that provides water for the people to drink You could say that in chapter 18, it's Moses that's in need of provision. Moses has been sitting by himself as a a judge. And in a sense, that's partly about being an advisor as well for the people to help them resolve their problems and disputes. And it is incredibly stressful for him. Actually, and, and this is very important, it's not good for anyone actually. Lots of people uh, stood around Moses from morning until evening, waiting for him to pass his various judgments. And it's Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, who, you, who God uses to provide that sensible way forward. Moses needs help. 
He should appoint honourable, trustworthy people uh, over tens of people, fifties of people, thousands, hundreds, in different patterns, and they should help Moses. And Moses himself should only deal with the most complex of cases. In other words, Moses is the leader of the Israelites, but they all have a part to play. The whole community has a part to play. For us Christians, we follow King Jesus. We call upon the name of Jesus as we did so powerfully in our song worship, but he calls on us to play our part in his mission. To play our part in his mission as individuals and in community. We'll come back to that a bit later. For now, we're going to reflect a bit more on our our main reading from Exodus 19 and move on to the idea of covenant. Covenant. See, there's a, a real sense, actually, that the journey that God's been on with Moses and the Israelites needed to come to this point that we find ourselves at now. There needed to be a covenant, an agreement between Yahweh and the Israelites. We've seen God's practical provision of food and water, and you could say practical provision of governance, structures of governance. But God has more for them. He wants them to be a holy nation. And so beginning with chapter 19 that we heard read out for us this evening, we have this quite complex chain of events. And you've got that from the reading. And that goes on as Exodus goes on. But at the heart of this complex kind of chain of events at Mount Sinai are verses 3 to 6 from chapter 19, which we might summarize like this. Yahweh has done wondrous and incredible things for the Israelites, and he will do even more for them if they keep their covenant, their agreement with him. And it's really important that we say quite early on that this isn't an equal covenant or agreement. A lot of our lives are kind of characterized by equal agreements or contracts, things like that. That's not what this is about. God, what God does as part of this covenant is so much greater than what he is asking of the Israelites, what he is asking of us. Now, we've been encouraging each other to take up different spiritual practices during Lent. Some of us have been looking at uh, this book. Uh, This is called The Way of the Desert. It's by a a chap just listed as Andrew Watson on the front cover. Uh, Bishop Andrew Watson is the Bishop of of Guildford. And uh, he writes about the events of Exodus 19 and This is what he says. I mean, it's a brilliant summary, so I will read it out to us. The arrival at Mount Sinai was a time for the Israelites as a whole to reflect on the extraordinary events of the last few months. A fresh vision of God himself came to mind. The Lord, as a great and majestic eagle, 
gently nurturing his fledglings and bringing them safely home. A fresh vision of Israel's pivotal role in God's plan of salvation as a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If they obeyed God fully and kept his covenant, Israel would have unique access to God. So what, what do we mean by obeying God, um, keeping his covenant? Just after the reading that we had is, predictably enough, Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, one of the most famous examples of kind of moral guidance. So I'm going to step away from my notes for a second and try to recite them. You might come from home churches where they're written on the side at the front. Anybody have that in the home church? I'm getting shaking of the head. So, I am the Lord your God. I have brought you out of Egypt, and you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image of me. You shall not take my name in vain. You will keep the Lord's day holy. You will honor your mother and father. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's, well, wife or anything else for that matter. I can can keep my license as as a curate now. I was in big trouble if I'd forgotten those. So they are amazingly helpful moral principles. I think they're they're the basis of our our legal system. And many of these are values that people who said, well, I, I don't have any faith at all, would still view as integral to modern society. It's worth asking them why they think they're integral to moral society. And what does Jesus say about the law? What does our Saviour say about the law? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a theme here, mountains. Matthew 5, chapter 17 and onwards, Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus goes on in verse 21, referring to the Ten Commandments to say, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again in verse 27, referring to the Ten Commandments, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It seems that in the kingdom of Jesus, this covenant, this agreement has gone to an incredibly high bar. And Josh is going to say a bit more about that with us later in this sermon series. But I want to emphasize again that in our covenant with Jesus, He does so much more than he asks of us. It was Jesus that lived the life that was truly without sin. It was Jesus that died on the cross. Jesus who paid the eternal price for our mess, for all the times we've fallen short of our part in the covenant 
with God. And what is more, if we come to Jesus truly sorry and repent of our sins, as we did in our confession earlier that Richard led us in, we are forgiven. We are made right with God, restored to that covenant. And to quote Bishop Andrew a couple of more times, we are saved by God's grace and not by meticulously ticking the legalistic boxes. In his ministry, Jesus regularly drew his followers back to the heart of the commandments, both teaching and embodying a life of love, allowing God's law to search our inner hearts, to search our inner hearts. And we can link back to the events at Sinai from Exodus 19. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was taking on not one, but three roles, if you like, three roles from the story in Exodus 19. Jesus takes on the role of Israel itself. He is God's treasured possession, God's son with whom he is well pleased. Jesus takes on the role of Moses, the prophet and teacher, and he declares his lordship part of the divine and holy trinity. The extraordinary stories of mountains, the parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, fulfilling the law revealed by Yahweh to Moses as part of this incredible covenant story. So I had one final thing to share, one final word to share for this evening, and that uh, you'll be perhaps relieved to know is a rather shorter point as we come into land, and that is community. Actually, I feel I should repent and ask forgiveness for using the phrase coming into land. Um, that's a, a separate issue. Um, if we had to try to live up to this covenant with God in our own strength, we really would be hopelessly lost. If you are trying to do that, please stop. <laughs> please. You can't. It's not possible for us to do these things in our own strength. Towards the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus promised us a helper, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, 15 to 17, there's Jesus addressing his followers and saying this, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit abides in each of us that has turned to Christ. He abides in each of us in our hearts, helping us to follow Jesus' teachings and to remain in covenant and fellowship with him. With Jesus who has done immeasurably more than he asks of us. And we also get to do this together as part of a church community. You see, to the Israelites and, say, to the early church in particular, 
The idea of separating out our individual moral decision-making from a covenant for the whole community would have been completely ridiculous. It's a very modern idea, kind of individual morality being separate from a kind of collective morality. The Bible has a message that says that everybody is linked by the communities that they're part of. Everybody is linked by this covenant with God. Our individual choices are linked to our corporate responsibility. And we are aware that from the front we do talk about things like meals and small groups and fellowships and community. We do it quite a lot, we know. And to be honest, I don't think we make apologies for it because it matters. Community matters. It's part of our response to God's calling on our lives for us to be in covenant together with each other, to support each other as we seek to follow God's calling on our lives. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.